had a good, busy week so far this past week and looking forward to another busy week this week coming up. We are, I appreciate so much all who have been involved. Um, we have a small, hard-working core that gets a lot done, and, and the, uh, God's work is being done. I praise God for that as we see our uh, men working with our boys and now our women working with our girls through Jump Rope Camp. I'm just pleased to see so many, and, and so many uh, work hard behind the scenes. We have uh, our nursery was available each day of the week so that parents who have small children uh, were able to drop them off. And, and what a blessing to have Michelle just to, to uh, staff that and to uh, allow that. Treats were, were given throughout the week, and uh, they were just uh, uh, people helping in so many different areas. I appreciate that. And then yesterday we had our block party, our, our first time doing that and I thought that was a good success we had a number of people from the neighborhood who stopped by you know when you smell like those grills kicking in and 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 see that right in the front people are passing by and uh they they uh they saw what we were doing and they were they came by and they saw friendly people inviting them in and we had a chance just to share get to know people and and talk more about the gospel so it's it's a good opportunity we uh, thank Thank you for your participation and your help in every area that, that, uh, that was provided for. <clears throat> and now our scripture reading for this morning. I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Esther chapter 5. We're going to start near the end of 5 and go into chapter 6 today. Chapter 6 just has 14 verses, so we're going to start at chapter 5, verse 9, and read through the end of chapter 6. So if you don't have a Bible of your own, raise your hand. Our ushers have Bibles available they'll bring to you. We want everyone who can read to have a Bible, have access to a Bible. And then let's all stand and then in respect to the reading of God's holy word. I'll be reading starting at Esther chapter 5 verse 9 through chapter 6. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor, ter nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with all the promotions with which the king had honored him and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared, and tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. On that night, the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorial deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king, and it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, 
who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, what honor or distinction has, bestowed, has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. And the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, for the man who the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai, the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head down. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai before whom excuse me, if Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. May God give us understanding this portion of scripture that we read and that we'll be preaching through this morning. Let's bow in a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for this week. We thank you for answering our prayers in the boys' camp and allowing many boys to come, allowing many of our men to come as volunteers to help to speak into the lives of these young boys through games, through activities, and through a gospel story being told. We thank you for the events yesterday with our block party and the people that we were able to, to interact with. And we pray, Lord, though, Many of them are not here today. We pray, Lord, that you will continue to speak to them, allow us to interact with them again and to speak to their hearts so that you draw them to yourself and to be one who will come become a part here 
to hear your gospel, to obey it, and be a testimony for you. We know, Lord, you are still saving, and we thank you for that. You saved us, and we pray, Lord, that you use us to reach out to others and to bring them to have forgiveness of sin and to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. We thank you for your word today. We pray, Lord, that you open our understanding so that we can receive the truth that you have and put it to practice in our own lives, trusting in you, knowing, Lord, that you are the God who is almighty and in control of all things. And you are doing things, even though it may seem like behind the scenes, you're doing things to deliver your people to rescue your people, to bring a savior to your people so that we won't be condemned with this world. We thank you for what you're doing. Open our eyes to that plan and activate us so that we will be part of your purpose and part of your plan in a good way. And we just pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Choir will come for a song before a message today. stripes I am healed my God today I am forgiven his grace is why I'm living praise him praise him my God is awesome 
you up. Awesome. Yes, yes, my Lord, you want so. Father, you are so holy. You are holy. Yes, he's holy. So, so holy. Yes, you are. Oh, my Lord, you are so great. You're so great. Yes, you're great. Yes, so great. You are. Oh, Lord, you are so. Father, you are my deliverer, my deliverer, my deliverer, my deliverer. Yes, you are awesome. Yes, even it's for you, my provider, my provider, my provider, my provider. Can I get someone to testify that he is? Now say this with me, say, you're my protector, my protector, my protector, my protector. You are awesome. You are so awesome, God. Good, my God. So awesome. He can move. Move any mountain, move any mountain. Lord, you keep me in a valley. And you hide me from the rain. You're so, so awesome. You heal me. Lord, when I'm broken, give me strength. Oh, praise your holy name. Praise your holy name. Thank you, Lord. Many of you have been blessed by the story of Esther, God's word, an encouragement God brings to us through his word to show how he is working in the lives of his people. And that means all of his people. He is working in the lives of his people to bring about his purpose, and his purpose will not fail and will not be defeated. What we need to do is make sure we're about his purpose. <laughs> he will accomplish his purpose, and he will do that through his people. God knows that he needed someone besides me and you to accomplish his purpose because we're sinners. And because we're sinners, we are doomed to God's judgment. We need saving. So God brought a Savior for us to save us from his judgment and to make us his people. And so the story of Esther is how God continues his purpose for his people by providing a Savior. Satan wants to fight everything that God is doing, and he tries with all of his might, <laughs> and God lets him try. 
God just lets him do all that he can, and God just shows that it's still not going to work. It's still not going to defeat his purpose. We get into chapter 6. We did a, a little review in our reading of chapter 5, and we've, we've noticed a few things, a few key statements in our sermon. And in, in chapter 4, we had the statement, God didn't make Esther queen just to dress up and look pretty. He had a purpose in mind for her. He used her beauty. He developed her character. She used her courage and her character. And then we see how the, 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 the test came, and, uh, and she was challenged by Mordecai. Now, don't just uh, think that you're set in that position for nothing. God has a purpose for you as queen, and that is to step up to the moment and stand for your people. Go to the king and ask him to deliver or to provide a deliverance for your people. Haman had threatened all of God's people to annihilate them, and he said he would do that. He got a law signed into by the king that he would do that on the 12th month, on the 13th day. And so this day had been set, and so Esther went to the king to ask that to be changed and she knew that she was in danger of losing her life by going to the king without permission prior but she went anyway she says if I perish I perish but she went and she made a request before the king now she was very skillful we noticed in chapter 5 we don't even know what the request is first she said to the king would you come to a feast you and Haman I prepared a feast for you they came to the first, that first day to the feast, and then at that day she says, I got another one prepared for you tomorrow. Come there, and then I'll tell you my request. So here we are, and she's invited Haman and the king to the special feast. They came to feast one. She says, come again tomorrow to the next feast. And so now Haman goes home. We read in chapter 5, verse 9, that Haman is just, he's just thrilled. He is just happy. Why? Because he's the only one that's been selected by the king and the queen to accompany the king in this special feast that Esther has prepared. So he goes home and, and, and he's just gloating, right? He's just telling everybody how, how, uh, you know, how, how good he is, how, how things have happened for him, all of the good things that he has. He says in verse 12, even Queen Esther let no one but me Come with the king to the feast she prepared, and tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. Now we get into chapter 6. It says, on that night. I've entitled this message. Coincidences. Coincidences. God's behind-the-scene work begins to be unveiled. Coincidences. The dictionary has this definition of a coincidence. A striking occurrence of two or more events at one time, apparently by mere chance. A striking occurrence of two or more events at one time, apparently by mere chance. 
I have another definition for coincidence. Co and incident. An incident, in other words, incidents that happen at the same time. Not by chance. Or not simply by chance. God is using, it seems like, unrelated events that all happen together. And the only way that it can, the only way it can come out the way God intended is for all of these things to happen together. They seem small, they seem insignificant, but they all happen together. And I want you to note that as we go through chapter 6. It starts out, on that night, it says, on that night, the king could not sleep. On what night? It's the very night after Queen Esther has requested that he and Haman come to her feast, the second feast to hear her request. It's the very night after Haman has been flattered by King and Queen Esther's request to attend the second feast. And after, it's the night after he goes home and brags to his friends and his wife that all this has happened to him. He's been promoted to, to, by the king to the, over every other official in the, uh, in the land. It's the very night after Haman, even though he's been promoted, even though he's, he's been flattered by the king and queen, when he goes on his way out of the office, he runs across Mordecai sitting at the king's gate, and he becomes furious again. And he says, he says this in chapter 5, verse 9. When Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. It says he restrained himself. Even wicked people can restrain themselves, and Haman is a wicked person. But notice he restrains himself. Why? Because it's not convenient for him to act out that wrath right now. We always talk about people being crazy and, and being this and that. There's, there, there's an intent going on there. Satan knows what he's doing, and, and, and he can even exercise restraint when it's good for him to do that. But notice as he talks to his family and to his wife in verse 13, he tells them all that's happened to him that's good. He says in verse 13, Yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. So he's pouting about Mordecai. And so his wife and his friends give him a suggestion. They said, why don't you build these gallows, build some gallows, 50 cubits, which is about 75 feet high, very, very high. Why don't you build these high gallows and go to the king tomorrow and have Mordecai hanged on the gallows? Why so high? So he can see Mordecai. It's, it's so not only he can see, but everybody in the capital in Susa can see Mordecai hanged. That's, that's to, 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 to make Haman feel that he's a compass. He's the victor, and everybody knows it. So his wife suggests this, his friend suggests this, and it says at the end of chapter 5, 
This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. Now, Haman was a man of action. He had one night to have gallows 75 feet high made, and he got it done. He just had to speak, and he got people working, and he says, I need this done by tomorrow morning. Oh, boss, I, th- I was just getting off of work. You thought you was getting off of work. You got a job to do. Get the crew ready and get whoever else you need. Get the materials and get it done. He got it done. Now it says, verse, chapter 6, verse 1, On that night, the king could not sleep. It seems like an unrelated matter. It seems just, just being, I don't know, a natural occurrence. I don't know. What happened? Did he eat something that didn't settle with him? Was it the noise of the hammer and the nails of the gallows going up that disturbed? I don't know. But on that night, he could not sleep. What does he do? This is the very night I mentioned that so Haman decides with these gallows, the next day he's going to go into the king and he's going to ask to get Mordecai hung on these gallows. The very night of that, the king can't sleep. And it says he gives orders to have the book of memorial deeds read to him. I should say something here. <laughs> Sometimes ungodly people spend their time more wisely than we do. On a night he can't sleep, he's not looking at a video. He doesn't bring entertainment in to sing and to play music for him. What he does is he says, I want to read what's going on in my kingdom. I want to find out what's happening. And so he has the, the chronicles read before him. It just so happens he can't sleep. It just so happens that to, to remedy that, he, he doesn't ask for a special meal or, or, or hot chocolate to be made or whatever. He says, read to me the Chronicles. And they read, and guess what they just so happen to read? It says in verse 2, And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. It just so happens he reads this account this night before. I want you to think about this in this way. Who controls or who influences the king not sleeping? Who influences what he does since he can't sleep? Who influences the chronicles that are read to him that the pages or the scroll will be turned to this exact spot where it will be told to him the story of Mordecai, of how he rescued the king, And then the king decides, he says, has anything been done for Mordecai? Because he's done this great deed. He saved me from this assassination attempt. Has anything been done to reward him? And notice the answer. This is is interesting. 
The king's young, this is the middle of verse 3, the king's young men who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. He said, well, why is that unusual? If something had been done, the king would do nothing else. And the story would end. Nothing had been done. Can you consider yourself Mordecai for a moment? And you could be thinking, man, I did all this work. I did all this special thing. We do that on our job sometimes. I wonder if anybody noticed the special thing that I did. They probably don't even think about it. And so I'm not rewarded for all of what I've done. Sometimes you don't get rewarded for, it seems like you're not being rewarded for what you're doing. But the timing is significant here. God has held off. I don't know how long this was, but God has held off any recognition of Mordecai during his time so that this night could happen. The night when the king can't sleep, the night when he decides to have the chronicles read, and he comes to the very page where Mordecai did a deed that he wasn't rewarded for. If he had been rewarded, the king probably would have just kept reading the chronicle, go to the next incident. But he read, and he said, wait a minute, what do you mean this guy, his name is what? Mordecai. He didn't get rewarded for saving me? And so the king begins to decide. And it just says in verse 4, the king said, who's in, the, who's in the court? Now, what did the king have in mind? I have no idea. <laughs> he just figures whoever's in the court, he's going to use to reward this person in some kind of way. Guess who happens to be entering the king's court when the king gets this crazy idea that we don't even know what he plans on doing? It just so happens to be Haman. Why is Haman entering the king's court? Because he's so happy. The gallows have been built and he knows he's got it in good with the king. Him and the king are going to go to this feast that, that the queen has requested his presence for. And so he's going to, he, he, this, this guy knows how to talk people into things. He's already talked the king to sign an edict to kill all the Jews. It won't be nothing for him to talk, hey, by the way, I got these gallows made. And I got this crazy dude, Mordecai, who's a, hey, he's, he's one of your servants, but he ain't no good. Um, if it's okay with you, I, I'm going to have him hang. That, that's what he's coming to ask the king to do. At the moment, the very night, he's walking through the court. The king has something else in mind. He's thinking, how can he reward Mordecai? And so he says to his young men, anybody around? Who's in the court? Now it says, Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged. So in verse 5, the king's young men says, Haman is there standing in the court. The king says, tell Haman to come on in. So he comes in. You can imagine Haman's thought. He's thinking, wow. As soon as I walk in, the king is ready for me and invites me to come in. This is good, Haman is thinking. What happens next? By the way, you, you have to read this story. It reminds me of a, a nine-year-old telling a story. You ever hear a nine-year-old tell a story? They tell good stories. 
Stories have a sequence to them. And what's cool about a story is what's happening and what happens next. And so you have a lot of ands and a lot of thens. And this happened, and this happened, and, th and then this, and then this, and then this, and while this was going on, and then this, it reminds me of that. I've underlined the ands in this story. Let's start at verse 1 and read them. On the night the king could not sleep, on that night the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the Book of the Mor Memorial Deeds to Chronicles, and they were read before the king, and it was found written how Mordecai had told about Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, and who had sought to lay hands on King Erastus. And the king said, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men attended him and said, nothing has been done for him. And the king said, who's in the court? Now, Haman had just entered the, court of the, entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So... Haman came in and the king said to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head the royal crown is set, and let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robes and the horses, and as you, and, and, and you have said, <clears throat> excuse me, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai, the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai, and led them through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. But Haman hurried to his horse, mourning and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. You get a sense, don't you? It's a moving story. It's a story built upon one incident after another. This happens and this happens and this happens and this. All of these things are connected and we wonder, is it a coincidence? Is it mere chance in the obvious story? The obvious answer is no. It is not a mere chance in any way. The lesson is this. God carefully plans the deliverance, the salvation of his people. None will prevent or change it. 
God uses these tiny little things that seem unrelated. God is in control of all of it and all of them. A question was asked in Sunday school this morning. How is it that Satan rules? How is it that it is said that Satan is ruling on earth? And how is it said at the same time that God rules over everything? That's a very good question. It's a question that should challenge our thinking. We live on earth where it is said, even in Scripture, that Satan rules, that he is in command, and that is true in a sense. You see, you can have the same territory, and different people think they control it. Different people think they rule over it and exercise some control over it. Satan certainly exercises control over earth, in some ways. The point, though, is that he is limited in his control. He thinks. <laughs> he thinks he's way more than he is. And he thinks he can do far more than he actually can. God is in control over everything. I know that's a problem for us because we wonder, well, if God is in control, how come only good things aren't happening to me? My short answer is, you're not in heaven yet. And when you get to heaven, you will see that, that you will enjoy the benefit of God's full control in every aspect. We are to pray, Jesus taught us to pray, what? Your will be done. Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, his will is completely done on, uh, in heaven, and it's, he is exercising his will on earth to bring his final purpose about so all of his will will be done on earth as well as heaven. And so Esther, the book of Esther, reminds us that God is in control even in the small, minute, details of our lives to bring about his purpose. That should bring comfort to us. It should be, it should give confidence to us that there are no mistakes and accidents in our lives that God is not aware of and able to work through in order to bring about his purpose. There's no accidents. There's no loss of control. There's no, oops, I made a mistake. I need to go back and correct that in God's plan. He knows exactly what he's doing. Our problem is we don't know and we don't understand. But that's all right. You ain't got to know and understand. I had my grandkids this week as, as uh, Shant and Andy uh, take a little vacation, a little trip, and, you know, they like to ask a lot of questions. I like to give an answer that, hey, you ain't going to get an answer for everything. There's some things I'll, I'll be glad to explain to you, but some things I intentionally am not going to tell you all that I'm doing. What are we going to do next? Your job is to obey. You don't need to know every detail of what we're going to do next. Some of it I might choose to tell you and some I won't. God does the same thing with us. He tells us enough that we have confidence that he is leading in the right way and he's in control. God, why I got to go here? Why this got to happen? He don't always give us the answer to that. 
He simply says, trust me and obey me. Follow me and obey me. So I, I do that, that with kids, not because I'm mean or I, I don't like to communicate with them or share with them. I do that to train them for life, the exercise of obeying God. God doesn't do something once he's explained everything to your liking. He does as he decides and as he pleases and commands you to submit and follow. God is in control, so we have every reason to be comforted and encouraged by what he is doing so long as we belong to him. See, if you're Haman, you don't like how things are working out. Because you were in control, you were sitting large, you were sitting good, but it's starting to break down. Your own family is saying, look, dude, if you're trying to get at Mordecai, finding out that he's a Jew, um, it don't look too good for you. His own wife told him, you ain't going to win. That's a battle you are not going to win. I would imagine they had all kind of conversations in, in times past of, of his plan, how he was going to move up in the government, how he's going to be promoted and how he was successful. He would come home and say, you know what the king did? He promoted me today. And I used to be this little guy down here. I done moved up. And nobody higher than me except the king and the queen. So I would imagine they had all those conversations and, and he's successful and, and he's influenced people and he's probably trampled over people in the process and done all the things, but he's been successful. He doesn't like hearing that God is in control. Mordecai, on the other hand, is totally opposite. He's one who's described as serving at the king's gate. He's a lowly servant. His whole life, his whole nation has been taken into exile. The land that he came from, he lives there no more. He's been forced out of it. His family relationships has, have been just, just messed up. You know, when, they, when, they, when the, the country taking over, you says, hey, I'm going to move you here. You have no say in that. But I'm going to move your brother and your sister over there. You have no say in that. And so his family is messed up. But you know what? One, one thing he has, he believes, and it is, this is what we see happening behind the scene. He trusts God. Even in the turmoil of his life, Haman is with the nation in control, and he's second only to the king that's over 127 provinces. He feels strong about his position and in control. Mordecai is at a nation that has been defeated and is under the control of another wicked nation who does as it pleases, and yet he trusts in God. There's a couple verses that I want to relate to today. Um, just to show you the benefit of watching TV and watching sports as I do. I do that in preparation for my sermon. I watched the Brewers game. <laughs> While I was watching the Brewers game in preparation for my sermon, true story, Chase Anderson, the pitcher on the Brewers, starting staff, or starting, starting pitchers, 
has a baseball glove which has engraved the, 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 the word Proverbs 16.9. That's interesting. And so when a camera shows him pitching, you, you, you see that on his glove, the glove that he holds as, as he gets ready to pitch. And you can, you can almost see it every pitch, Proverbs 16.9. It says this, The heart of man plans his way. But the Lord establish, establishes his steps. So God knew I was going to be watching the Brewers. And he said, I'm going to prepare you for, <laughs> for your sermon. <laughs> Here is a thought from God's word. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. It's talking about the godly man, but in contrast to that, you can look at two individuals. You can see Mordecai, how God is establishing his step. And, and since you've read through the story of Esther, you know that Haman was second in command only to the king and to the queen. And Mordecai was the lonely servant who nobody even knew. He saved the king and the king didn't even know his name. The king had to look up in the record to find out that Mordecai had spoiled the, the uh, assassination attempt against him. And Mordecai's name was in the record, but the king didn't even know him and had to ask, had he ever been rewarded for anything? And he hadn't. He had been looked over all this time. He is rising up to be second in command. You'll see that at the end of Esther, we get to it, that he is now at the highest position below the king, from lowly servant who nobody recognized and not even be rewarded for his good deed to second in command. We see the same thing with Esther. She was a lowly, you could almost say a slave girl. She was a lowly nobody, but now she has risen up because God has given, remember we talked about last week, God has given her favor. He's risen up and now she is, 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 is with the king. She is the queen over everything. Haman, as I mentioned, has risen up to second in command, but now he is on his way down. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. You know, we like to tell our children they can be whatever they want to be and if they should work hard enough and pursue that. And the reality is they should have the attitude to be willing to work hard. But God has a path for them and God has set them for it. They don't know what that is. They need to be prepared for that. They do need to go to school. They do need to do hard work. They do need to pursue that. There is much that they need to do as they do that. But God has established steps, and he does that for his people. You can praise him for that, and you can be faithful and serve him through that. But we know what we do. Lord, how come, <laughs> I have to say it this way. I don't want to use my grandkids as bad examples. But we gave them... We have a good neighbor who sees our kids playing in the, in, in the yard. He'd ride by, some of y'all know him, Sean, he'll ride by. And he'll come back 
with slushies for all the kids. He'll go to the store and buy all the slushies and, and, and just drive by and, and hand them all over for the kids. How many kids y'all got to see? He said nine. He'll bring nine slushies, and he'll bring that. So the kids didn't know they was coming. And so here's Sean. He passes them over to me, and I pass it to the kids. And, and Donna had just given popsicles to summer she was bringing out to bring popsicles to the rest of them so one had a popsicle and was given a slushy too and one didn't have a popsicle and only had a slushy and he says do I get a popsicle <laughs> in other words even though I got this that I didn't expect I didn't get that <laughs> don't I get some of that you know we do that with God sometimes we say well Lord I know you ordered my steps well, what about dude over there? How come I didn't get that job? How come I didn't have that position? How come I don't have the money he has or the house or the car or, the, or, or whatever the thing? I want that. And so we, 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 we buck against what the Lord has provided. Lord, you didn't, you didn't make me tall and dark and handsome, or you didn't give me enough hair or put it in the right places, or you didn't give me the build that I want. And you know, you didn't, you didn't do this or do that. And we look ourselves in the mirror and say, God should have made me like this. You realize that God made us and placed us where he desires, and we ought to stop rebelling him against him and recognize and ask God, what is my purpose? What is it that you want me to do? I think something else we do, sometimes as parents, that I'll think about, we give the idea that all our kids are to be famous for something. If you work hard, if you do this, you'll be the top of your company, you'll be liked by everybody, or you'll be rich, or you'll, be the, you'll win every race, or you'll be the strongest, or you'll be the MVP, or, or whatever. That's simply not God's purpose. How about Mordecai? God says to you, be faithful as a lowly servant and just see what I'm going to do. I'm not promising to make you king. He never did make him king. But he said, be faithful at the task that I've given you. Do your job faithfully. And be thankful when the Lord says, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's why serving here at Sweet Communion is, is a blessing to me and it's been a challenge to me. Because I can say, Lord, I could have taken my gift and my talent. I could have done what so-and-so did over there if I had only done that. In other words, I made a bad decision or the Lord made a bad decision for me. I could have done better somewhere else. That's a sinful thought. It's a sinful thought. It's a thought that says the whole world spins around Brian, revolves around me, and I'm the focus of it. Instead, God says this, the whole world spins around his son. <laughs> He's the focus of it. This life is about Jesus, and I will find my joy as I see that it's all about him, and I'm included. Joyfully included in that part. I won't miss out on anything. I won't miss out on any good thing. I need to recognize what this is all about. I see parents sometimes making life all about their children. 
And they need to recognize, no, much as you love them, you ought to love them. But life isn't all about them. Teach them life is about God. There is one God. He is the one you ought to serve. He is the one you ought to submit to. He is the one that you live your life for. Not for yourself. Not for some dream that you have. It's for him. That's what your life is for. Remember what we said about Queen Esther? God didn't make her queen to dress up and look pretty. He had a purpose for her. And so that's one scripture I wanted to share is in Proverbs 16.9. There's another scripture I want to share. In fact, there's a couple others. I hope I can get to them. Proverbs, excuse me. Um, the second one is Romans 8.28. Now I say that and you know that by heart. You should. If you don't, you should learn it. Romans 8.28, and I want to read it. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. The writer Paul is reminding believers that in the life of a believer, he can be confident or she can be confident we know that for those who love God, it says. So it's not, that's a selective verse. It's not just for everybody. Everybody can't just grab that and claim it. It's for those who love God. What does it say about those who love God? All things work together for good. It's not saying all things are good in your life, but all things are working together for good. And we see that in Esther's life, we see that in Mordecai's life. We don't see that in Haman's life. All these incidences that happen make him unsure and question. And at the end of the, the, end of the chapter, his own wife is saying, dude, it don't look good for you. You're going against Mordecai. It don't look good. I'm sorry, honey. I'm just telling you the truth. It don't look good for you. So you can't say Romans 8.28 for Haman. But for Mordecai, you can say all things work together for good. Now, I'm going to go to another verse that's going to challenge that in some ways because bad things happen to God's people. And you can say, how can the bad thing that happened to me be for good? That's where you have to trust God. He said it, and he's going to prove it, you may not understand why something happened, but know that God is working behind the scene, that even in disaster, he is working things out for his purpose and for your good. You may have to endure. You might have some real hardships. You might have some tough times, but you are to trust him that in his purpose, these things fit in for your good. And the story ain't over yet. Now there's a second or third set of verses I want to look at. And that's in Psalm 73. <clears throat> but before I get to Psalm 73, you can put a bookmark there. If you're using a regular Bible. If you've got electronics, you 
on your own. Revelation 6, verse 9 through 11. Revelation 6, verse 9 through 11. If you can work through the, the, the graphic story um, language in Revelation, you'll see what it's getting at. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. That's an interesting uh, picture. He says a seal was opened, and these seals are, are just to reveal the plan of God. And one thing he saw was souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. In other words, some people lost their life because they lived a faithful life loving the Lord. And so that might challenge Romans 8 says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. You say, well, how is that good if I suffer or lose my life? Well, this verse helps answer that in a way. There are those who actually paid the highest price for living faithfully for the Lord. Because we live in wicked and evil days, Good is not always rewarded. In fact, good oftentimes is punished. The Lord Jesus Christ is the example of that. Why do people hate him? Why do people command him to be killed and carried it out? And why did God allow that to happen? It happened because of evil, but it also happened because of God's goodness. He allowed his son to be put to death in a cruel, painful death. You might say, well, why did it have to be so painful? Why was it so cruel? I can't answer all of those questions except that it was my sin that was upon him that he willingly paid for to save me. So this says in back to Revelation 6, Verse 10, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true. Now, stop there because they're not just complaining. <laughs> they're not complaining. They recognize that God is in control even though they don't understand. They have a question to God. They have a question for God. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Ask the question, Lord, how long will you speak, will it take for you to speak up for us and to act on our behalf? We've been killed by wicked, evil people. Step up for us, Lord. That's what they're saying. How does God answer? Verse 11, then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. Remember I told you how, how I deal with my grandkids sometimes? You don't give them all the answers. God didn't give them an answer. He didn't tell them how long. He said a little longer. How long is it a little longer? A little longer. A little longer. Read it again. 
they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. God says you ain't the only ones. There's more that's going to be killed. As you read through Revelation, you realize that we are given an answer. We're given this answer. God is going to take action. That's why I wanted to turn to, to, to Psalm 73 now. Now I'll turn to Psalm 73. <coughs> Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. When you see Israel in the Old Testament, you get a picture in some ways of God's people. Truly God is good to his people. That includes believers today, those who love God. He says, I know that. Well, verse 2, but as for me, we see that but. <laughs> it's a change of tone there. I know God is good. I know God is sovereign, but I still got a question. As for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the Haman-like folk when I saw the prosperity of Haman. All right? For they have no pangs until death. Pain was a emotional turmoil or even a physical uh, uh, a trouble or pain. He says, they don't go through stuff. They don't have a lot of drama in their life until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Now that's a way of saying they got it easy. All right? They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. Sounds just like Haman, doesn't it? He threatened he's going to kill everybody. That's just what he said. I'm going to kill all the Jews. I hate Mordecai. I'm going to kill every one of them. Man, woman, boy, and, and girl. I'm going to kill them all. That's what Haman said. And he went and did it. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. You would think Haman would maybe shudder to think that the people I've threatened are called the people of God, and I'm going to threaten them? Don't I have any fear? I wonder if, if people nowadays have fear. You know, I, I actually think that they see something in us that we don't always see. And, and, and they, 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 God can allow them to see your fear. I to, to tell you a story. Uh, this week I was coming home from, um, from boys camp and, and I was riding my motorcycle and I was just uh, a, a, a block away from my house. <clears throat> and I come to a four-way stop. And, uh, you know, we have these stops in our neighborhood, the, the, the traffic uh, stops in on each, each direction, and it's to, to, to slow people down. Well, that doesn't slow people down. After that, we have a speed bump to slow people down. And so what people do is they slow a little bit, uh, but not much, and then they just run right through the, the stop sign. Well, I came to this, and I stopped ahead of the car that was approaching from the other side, and since I stopped first, if you know traffic law, I have the right of way to go and turn. Well, as I began to turn, he jetted in front of me and almost put my, my, my bike in danger. So I blew my horn. 
I didn't blow my, blow my horn to get his attention. I already had his attention. I was upset that he had done such a dangerous act and put my life at risk. So you could say that's kind of road rage, right? So he gets in, he's in front of me, and I turn, and I'm behind him. He happens to turn on the next street. It's the same turn that I must make to get into my driveway. So he turns, and I turn. So I don't know if he thinks I'm following him now or what. But he goes up to the next block, and I turn into my driveway, open up my garage door, and drive in. And I notice that he goes to the next block, and he just stays there for a while. And then he turns, and then I all of a sudden see him coming through the alley back towards me. By this time, I'm back my motorcycle in the garage, and I'm getting off of it. And he comes through the alley at the street that runs along, and he turns and parks there, and he gets out of his car. Here's the man gets out of the car. he got no shirt on, and he's walking towards my driveway right towards me. And I'm thinking, Lord... <laughs> Am I going to have to ask you for the strength of Samson here <laughs> to deal with this guy? What's going to happen here? Do we have a confrontation ready to happen? It's funny, I wasn't nervous about any of that, but I'm just observing him walking straight up to my driveway. And I look at him, and he has kind of his head down, and he looks up at me and says, Sir, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't see you coming through that intersection. I'm sorry for jetting in front of you. <laughs> I'm almost speechless. <laughs> I don't know what turned that around. I don't know. I do know, don't I? <laughs> God did something. I have never had a person do something like that in front of me and then turn all the way around the corner to tell me, I'm sorry. I've never had that happen. God is working in little ways in all of our lives. I'm saying is he does protect his people even though it may be his purpose for some of his people to suffer. And in Psalm 73, the psalmist is saying, Lord, I, I know I'm part of your people, but I don't get it. Why are the wicked and the evil seem to be prospering and, and we just, we struggling? Not only struggling, you know, uh, in Romans chapter 8, he, he quoted the, the psalm that says, it's your people who've been killed all day long. And so in Psalm 73, if I could just have a moment just to finish this, you can read this whole chapter on your own. He says in verse 13, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. Skip down verse 16. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. 
Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in my heart, I was brutish and arrogant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion Forever. You can see the psalmist went from being just, just not understanding why things are and his life was rough and, and not getting it and saying, God, I know you're sovereign. I know you're in control, but why am I going through this? But he said until he opened up the word of God, until he came into the sanctuary, that's a, a way of saying God spoke to him and let him know what's happening behind the scenes. Esther is written to let us know what's happening behind the scenes. We have Hamans in our life who hate us and want to destroy us. But God is working to make the king have insomnia. He can't sleep that night. And all of a sudden, these little things are clicking and coming into place. At the time this happens... Mordecai has no idea that this is going on. What he knows is this. Wicked Haman has had signed into law that all the Jews will be destroyed on the 12th month on the 13th day. And there's nothing anyone can do to change the king's law. He feels in despair. But God is working in a way that only God can work to rectify a situation that only God can rectify. Know this, back in Romans, it says, if God, Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? Know this, that if God has saved us from hell and has called us to himself, is he not working every moment, every day in our lives right now to bring about his purpose? And should I not be encouraged by that to be faithful and serve him, even willing to die for his cause if he calls me to that? Because I know afterwards he will receive me to glory. God is saying this life ain't about you. It's about God's working through and in you for his glory. Submit yourself to God. Turn yourself over to him. Let him rule in your life. As we pray, thy will be done on earth. You're on earth. Let God's will be done in your life as it's going to be done in heaven. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray that our hearts submit to your purpose and your plan, even though we don't understand it all. We may not even know how it's for our good right at this very moment, but that's where you challenge us to trust you. May we see through your word how glorious you are. We sing praises saying you are awesome. My God is awesome. He can move mountains. 
because we've experienced your salvation in our lives. So help us, Lord, to think through and to see through your word and recognize how you are working and may we be encouraged to be faithful, to persevere, to continue on, to not give up, to live faithfully for you, not for ourselves, but to bring you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.